0: If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530 892 Today's message is entitled, Jesus is the Pioneer and Perfector of our Faith. Last week when we looked at the Hall of Faith, which is a play on the words Hall of Fame, Hebrews chapter 11, we saw All these people from Old Testament times that lived by faith. And I gave you the triple A of what faith is. Faith is an attitude. Faith is an action. And faith is an alternative view of life. Let me just talk to you about that for a moment. That faith is, first of all, an attitude, isn't it? It's an attitude of trust, of reliance, of hoping in the lord expectancy it's an attitude of love towards the lord surrender receptivity there's an eagerness to please there's respect there's delighting in the lord there's humility all those words are involved in the attitude of faith but also it's an action it's not something that you just sense towards the lord it's something you act upon god gives you a promise and you act on it, and we see those who left their comfort zone when the Lord told them to do so, going without knowing. In the case of Abraham, we saw those who wait upon the Lord, those who worship the Lord, those who work for the Lord and serve the Lord, those who are witness for the Lord, those who show compassion in the Lord's name, those who forgive, those who act justly. These are actions that come out of faith. But it's also an alternative view of life you know it says in first john 2 15-17 do not love the world or the things of the world because if you do the love for the father is not in you the the lust of the flesh the the uh, the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life are not where it's at but doing the will of the father that's what abides forever and so the people in hebrews 11 They didn't live for the present moment. They lived for the future reward of faithfulness unto the Lord. For example, Moses could have enjoyed all of what Egypt had. I've been to Egypt. I've seen the beauty and the splendor of Egypt thousands of years later. Moses could have enjoyed that. But instead, he chose to identify with the people of God because he was looking for a city whose foundations have been laid by God. That's an alternative view of the world. Don't live for the moment, live for the future. Don't live for the world, live for the Lord. There's a whole different view, worldview when you have faith. So now, I'd like to speak to you, since I talked to you about the AAA of faith, I want to talk to you today about the three F's of finishing well. Now, many of you have lived for the Lord all your life and you want to finish well, there are three principles to do so. First is, focus determines faithfulness. Second is, family training has a purpose. And the third is, failing to listen causes loss. Those are the three principles in Hebrews 12 that we're going to go through right now. First of all, focus determines faithfulness. It begins in Hebrews 12 by saying, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So the first focus is you've just completed a wonderful hall of faith of these witnesses who are not spectators right now in a stadium cheering you on. That's how this is misread. They are witnesses to the fact that God has been faithful in their lives and has brought them to a faithful finish. So since you're surrounded by all these who depended upon the Lord throughout their lives and God brought them into glory, that should inspire you to want to toss off anything that hinders you from running the race with perseverance for Jesus. That you know, I was a marathon runner, and i 've told you this story before, but Chicago Marathon was always super cold, and I would have my sweats and I would bring my uh, warm up stick where I would rub the muscles of my my legs, and then everyone would take off their sweats and throw them to the side of the road imagine 40,000 runners throwing their sweats to the side of the road and afterwards they'd be collected and given to the poor to the homeless but i had expensive sweats and my running stick i wasn't going to throw that to the side of the road so i put it in a bag and i ran with the bag but that was extra weight now the plan was to meet Shirley about mile one or two or three and, uh, and hand off the bag. And I handed off the bag and, and she gave me a kiss. But before that happened, a fellow runner looked at me and said, this marathon is 26.2 miles. Even a wedding ring will weigh you down by the time you get to the end. So you've got to toss off the extra stuff that's going to slow you down. And what is the sin that so easily entangles us? That's unbelief. The writer of Hebrews has been hitting that sin over and over and over again. When you stop trusting the Lord, when you stop taking him at his word, when you start doubting the Lord, which is so easy for that to creep in, that's the sin that will trip you up. And you don't want that. So first, we are to focus on so great a number of witnesses that have finished before us, and it's possible for us to finish the race as well. To run with perseverance is to run with faithfulness, the course in life that God's given us. The second focus we are to have, it says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. I love this because it speaks of the fact that I have been saved and you have been saved by the grace of God. Is that not true? That Jesus pioneered my faith and Jesus is going to perfect my faith. Jesus is the beginner of my faith and the completer of my faith. He is the starter of my faith and the finisher of my faith. He's the initiator of my faith and he's the finalizer of my faith. He's my justifier, my sanctifier, and my glorifier. Jesus is all in all, and to him be all the glory. And so it says in Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. So I see Jesus as the one who said, Come with me on this marathon run called eternal life. And Jesus didn't abandon me. He gave me the Holy Spirit to run alongside of me. And when I finished and crossed the finish line, whose face will I see? The face of Jesus. He began my race, and he will be at the finish line to reward me. Praise God. Focus on Jesus. So this principle is applied to Jesus himself. The principle of focus determines faithfulness. For the joy set before him. What was Jesus' focus? Jesus' focus to go to the cross was you and me. The joy would be to purchase us with his precious blood and present us to the Father. For that joy, he was able with that focus to be faithful in enduring the cross and scorning its shame and sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. He finished the task and the will of God because his focus was on saving you and me. With that example of the principle, focus determines faithfulness, we are told, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In other words, focus on how Jesus endured opposition from sinners, how he was uh, mistreated and persecuted because if Jesus went through all of that for you, how can you give up on him when you're, going to go, when you're going through so much less than what he's gone through? So this Holy Week, we think of what Jesus went through. Yes, he came on a donkey, in the full of a donkey, into Jerusalem, humbly as the king. And the people said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They thought that he would be delivering them from the oppression of Rome, but he came to deliver from the oppression of sin and Satan and the fear of death. And he suffered as he was betrayed, as he was denied, as he was beaten and mocked with a crown of thorns stuck into his brow, and with a purple robe thrown upon him, look at the king of the Jews. They punched him. The Roman soldiers punched him. They beat him with a scepter. Then they whipped him with a cat-o'-nine-tails with bone chips in the leather thongs throng, to rip the skin right off of his body. He was unrecognizable. And then they nailed him to a cross. And he hung there for six hours. Three hours in the daylight as they mocked him. If you're the Messiah, come on down and save yourself. And as they mocked him, the next three hours were three hours of darkness. And it's during that three hours of darkness that he experienced the supernatural whippings and beatings of demons. He experienced hell itself on the cross for your sin and for mine. We deserve eternal separation from God. We deserved hell. But Jesus died in our place. Jesus willingly gave his life as a sacrifice so we could be forgiven, so that we could receive his righteousness, so that we could become children of God. Consider him who endured and may that inspire you so that you don't lose heart when someone calls you a name. So you don't lose heart when you lose your job because you stood up for Christ and wouldn't do something dishonest that they asked you to do. Suffer for the name of Christ because he suffered for you. He showed us an example that we should walk in his steps. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, and by the way, none of you have struggled against sin to the point that you've resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In other words, none of you are martyrs. You're still alive. You haven't paid the ultimate price for your faith, keep on keeping on by considering him. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. Because it's all about this principle. If you focus on him and you're inspired by those who have gone on before you, you will remain faithful. The second principle is that family training has purpose. And this is found in chapter 12, verses 5 and 6 and following. So it says, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, quoting Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. So on the one hand, this is a word of encouragement that, God would not spend time working on you if he didn't love you. God loves you too much to leave you alone, to leave you to your own devices. God loves you so much he's going to intervene, redirect you, and he's going to train you in righteousness, like a coach. He's going to stretch you, he's going to give you workouts, and he's going to uh, make sure that you correct that which hinders your running style. But I want you to know something very interesting about Proverbs 3, 11 to 15. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. The question is, how do you respond to correction? The two extremes are listed right here. On the one hand, you can make light of correction. If somebody says uh, your hair is all messed up, you could bristle and then brush it off, ignore the person, or you can take it as an insult and feel sorry for yourself, get discouraged, and get depressed. Right? Are those not the extremes of responding to correction? Is either to um, trivialize it or to internalize it and? The Lord lovingly disciplines us. Now, here's an important point. There's a difference between discipline and punishment. Discipline has in the word uh, disciple, which means to teach or to train. Punishment is the purpose to expose and to humiliate. Does God want to punish you in the way of expose you and humiliate you? No, that's the devil. God wants to lovingly point out the area and train you. All of Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. God teaches you the right way to do it. He rebukes you when you do it the wrong way. He shows you correctly how to do it. And if you keep on doing it the correct way, you're trained in righteousness. Practice does not make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. So he's trying to teach you the right way to do it and keep on doing it to reinforce it so that righteousness is internalized and you are changed from the inside out. That's what God's doing as he's conforming you and me to the image of Christ. So what does he want us to do? Does he want us to trivialize his training? No. Does he want us to internalize his training as a judgment against us so that we get depressed and discouraged and give up? No? Well, what does he want us to do? He says, endure hardship as discipline. In other words, accept God's training. Cooperate with God's training. Um, In other words, um, when life knocks you down, look around for something to pick up. Learn from uh, your down times. Find out why pearls come from irritants. You are God's child, and if he is using trials and testings to train you, it's because he loves you. You're part of the family. It says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had Human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it, how much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? There is a subtle point in this scripture, Hebrews 12, 9, that human fathers did the best they knew how. Human fathers did the best that they could, as limited as they were. My father's dad abandoned the family when my dad was just a little baby. Him and his older sister did not have a dad. My dad, not having a dad, looked around for a model for how to be a dad. He served a couple of years in the Army in the Korean War. So he thought, well, a dad is a drill sergeant. And that's what I had as a dad. He did inspections, white glove inspections. And if we were disobedient, we got lashings. And so I had a very strict upbringing. He did the best he could. And you know what? God did better. It says, They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. Did you get that? That the best and highest good for you and me is holiness, is reflecting our Father. Be holy as he is holy. It says in 1 Peter 1.15. So it's important that we have a family resemblance. That's why the Lord is caring for us. Another principle that's in here that's very subtle is authority. Did you notice it says we respected them for it? We respected our human dads. That's important, why? Because respect for authority is key to genuine change. One who is constantly rebelling against authority is not growing in maturity but is reacting out of immaturity authority forms the north star orientation for making healthy progress on the journey of life and without authority you have thrown away your compass and are hopelessly lost and going around in circles we need authority in our lives and that authority is god and his word if we don't build our lives around that compass We've lost all orientation. So the goal of family training by our Heavenly Father is that we resemble Him, that we reflect His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful, it says in Hebrews 12, 11 to 13. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. I'm smiling right now because the paraphrase of verse 12 and 13 in my mind is, get to God's gym. Take those atrophied muscles, take the laziness and the uh, out-of-shapeness that you have, and go to God's gym. Get in shape. Get fit. Cooperate with how the Lord is training you because it's worthwhile. When you're right with God, you have righteousness. When you're right with God, you have peace with other people. Righteousness and peace go together. When Jesus will reign on this earth in the new millennium, righteousness and peace will be characteristic of his kingdom, and the knowledge of the Lord shall cover the earth like the sea. I pray every day, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I look forward to the establishment of our Lord's kingdom where righteousness and peace shall reign because jesus sits on the throne that's true healing so now we come to the last and final principle and it's this failing to listen causes loss now the listening verse is verse 25 that says see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks but it also mentions the voice the voice of god in verses 19 and 26 In other words, those who listen to God and his word gain. They win. They prevail. They triumph. They succeed. They conquer. They overcome. They're fulfilled. Those who listen to the Lord and his word finish well. But those who don't listen to the Lord and his word lose out on God's blessings and his fullness of joy. Those who do not listen to God and his word abuse his grace. Let's look at this. It says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it, this is an emphasis, see to it. Keep ever before you that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So where is stumbling block number one? Stumbling block number one is not listening to the Lord who said, forgive as you have been forgiven. Uh Uh-oh, now I've gone from preaching to meddling. Somebody's starting to squirm here because you are struggling with resentment and bitterness towards someone right now. You're replaying in your mind in slow motion how somebody jumped up behind you and stabbed you in the back and twisted the knife. You can see it visually, how you've been hurt and how you've been violated, and you're holding it against that person. Jesus said, after teaching people how to pray, forgive. If you don't forgive, you don't experience forgiveness in its fullness. So what happens? You interpret what somebody did as an offense. You repeat the offense, they hurt me, they hurt me, they hurt me. You internalize the offense, and now you've gone from resentment, which means to refeel it, to bitterness and the feelings of revenge, ill will. You want something bad to happen to that person. Jesus says, forgive. You want the grace of God in its fullness? You want God's blessing in fullness? Take that person off of your hook of accountability and put them on God's hook of accountability. In the name of Jesus, forgive that person as an act of the will and move on. Revenge is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Don't be judge, jury, and executioner. Let it go. Let it go. See to it that that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. The second thing that blocks God's grace is when a person lives for their fleshly appetites. They live for the here and now, they want the short and quick fix, but they don't have the long view range of living for the Lord and being faithful to be rewarded for the Lord. They're blowing it all by living for self. And Esau is the perfect poster child for that kind of life. He's an anti-type. He's a counterexample to the many faithful members of the Hall of Faith mentioned in Hebrews 11. Esau is such a loser. He lost his inheritance as the firstborn. Why? Because he didn't listen to God. I'll tell you, when you listen to God more than your fleshly appetites, you have self-control that glorifies the Lord. But when you let your fleshly appetites speak more loudly than the Spirit of God, you are more likely to trade your birthright for red stew. And that's how his descendants became Edomites, because Edom means red stew. So Esau ate red stew, and everyone who descended from him is known as an Edomite. He said, look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? Feed me now! Esau's God was his stomach, his fleshly appetites. And he lived foolishly and immorally because he lived only for the moment and not for eternity. It says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. Notice the speaking part. The voice is speaking. They can't bear to listen. This is a contrast between Mount Sinai, where the law was given, the Ten Commandments, and Mount Zion, where grace is given. So in the Old Testament time, they couldn't come near to the mountain because it was on fire and any animal that even touched the mountain had to be killed. And so they had fear and trembling. Even Moses, who went up the mountain, it says, I am with trembling fear, verse 21. But instead of coming to Mount Sinai, we have come to Mount Zion, the place of grace. But you have come to Mount Sinai, Zion, To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. This is the listening part. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? So here's the part that applies to you and me, and I'll close with this. That the Trinity is reflected in Hebrews 12. We see Jesus' example of obedience, and we follow him. We learn from the Father's loving training, and we cooperate in training in righteousness. And we hear the Spirit's call to holiness. Why? Because there's a shaking that's coming. Jesus says, uh, the book of Hebrews says, I am going to shake everything so that only which I, that which I have established will stand. What's going to stand? God's eternal kingdom. Anything that you think is important and you're clinging on to, it's going to be shaken. When the Titanic was going down, a woman begged to go back to her stateroom. She went back to her stateroom and she passed by her jewelry that was so expensive and valuable to grab three oranges. The Lord wants us to realize what's important, His kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530 530- 530